the best way to talk about mental health is possibly in terms of thermodynamics. And thermodynamics is such a wonderfully no-nonsense kind of a thing. It kind of cuts through all the BS, as they say. You can't get more basic than thermodynamics. And yet at the same time, it's not like some supposedly um, scientific approaches that oversimplify everything and reduce everything because thermodynamics doesn't do that, which is odd when we consider that most of what we know about thermodynamics and the original expression of the science is all about reducing stuff and simplifying it and lumping things together and getting rid of unpredictability and diversity. So the very first expression of thermodynamics is all about that. But then later on, a good while after the initial um, inception of the science, non-linear thermodynamics came into the picture. So the, the balance between classic thermodynamics and, non, and the non-linear variety have a unique um, capability to address psychology as well as addressing a lot of other things. So we might think, okay, well, thermodynamics, I don't know about that. And when we look it up or Google it, a load of incomprehensible um, formulae and mathematical expressions come up and that just doesn't help at all. And if you think that the formulae for classic thermodynamics is bad, you should try looking at the formulae for nonlinear, which is a hundred thousand times worse. But we don't have to worry about that. We're not in the business of solving equations. It's just the very essential gist of it that we need to understand. In order to have a good way of looking at mental health. So if I can, I'd like to express what this very essential way of looking at thermodynamics is and try to apply it to mental health. So we can say that there are these two kind of things that we need to be able to bear in mind and think about. And one is the equilibrium value and the other thing is the notion of being out of equilibrium. In other words, at some distance or remove from the equilibrium value. So then straight away we've got equilibrium and we've got disequilibrium. And those are the two things that we, the only two things that we need to um, consider. Equilibrium is an easy thing to understand. We already understand it even if we don't realise that we do because it forms such a major part of our understanding of how things work, basic mechanics and basic laws of nature. So an equilibrium point 
It's a resting point. Things come to rest in their equilibrium point, and the equilibrium point is their resting point. So we roll a boil a ball down a a slant down a kind of um some kind of a gradient, and it moves, and then it reaches the bottom of the gradient. It comes to rest, and that's the equilibrium point. So the activity that's happening in that very simple system is essentially we could say that the ball is seeking an equilibrium point. It's gravitating towards it. That's what it was always going to do. It was always going to end up in that equilibrium point. Then shows over. There's a period of excitement and then everything settles down to something rather non-exciting, which is the ball in its resting position. And that just goes on and on and on forever in the absence of any external disturbing factors. So that part of it's not quite so exciting. And the other, another way of looking at it, we could say that we've got a nice hot cup of tea and we put it on the table and that tea is out of equilibrium. It's, it's out there, removed from equilibrium. But over time, it comes closer and closer to equilibrium until it is at the same temperature as everything else in the room. And then bang, that is its resting point. Once the tea comes to the same temperature as its ambient surroundings, it's hardly going to change again. It's not going to carry on and get colder and colder. And neither is, is it going to start warming up again. And I think that anyone who's ever drunk tea will agree with that. Tea doesn't warm up again. It cools down to a certain point, but it doesn't warm up again, no matter how long you wait. So if we understand that, we understand classical thermodynamics <coughs> in, in, in the gist of it, it, at any rate. And so just that part of thermodynamics we can, we can use to understand an awful lot of human behavior. All of our behavior, that is, orientated towards goals or fulfilling our plans. All of that is equilibrium seeking behavior. And the goal is equilibrium and there's excitement until it's achieved and then you've got it and then that's the resting point. It's also the dead point because nothing happens after that. What do we do when we reach the goal? And the way our thinking is, <clears throat> we don't really go into that too much. We aren't thinking, what will I do when I, what will I do next after I reach the goal? Everything hangs on reaching the goal. That's our horizon. The whole point is not to think about what goes on beyond that. And so everything seems exciting, but it isn't really. There's just that bit of activity before everything settles down to an equilibrium point. And we could also say that that equals winning. Winning seems so great and it can be very hard to do. But once we've won, there's the equilibrium point because there is nothing else. That is the end of the road. It's a dead end. And that is the end of the dead end road. So psychologically speaking, we're not going anywhere. We've somehow turned things around so that it seems to us to reach that particular equilibrium point, to reach that goal, to get where we're going is super great. And 
so great, just like winning is so great, we don't have to work out why it's great or get philosophical about it because we all just know it's great. <clears throat> so that's what motivates us, that's the extrinsic motivation which keeps us striving. So we could say that the motivation which drives us in our normal state of consciousness is extrinsic motivation because it's always directed to some kind of extrinsic external goal. So that's all mechanical stuff. And our way of understanding mental health implicitly, if not explicitly, has to do with our ability to achieve our goals and to have nothing stopping us achieving our goals and to have the skills and the, the wherewithal, the technical knowledge and the hacks, like all the hacks you get on the internet telling you how to do this and do that in some simple easy way in order to get to the goal. So that's the, that's the standard way of talking about mental health. So really we're looking at mental health as an equilibrium state, which is odd, because an equilibrium state is an unchanging state. It's a state in which nothing further happens. So if I get some oxygen and I get some hydrogen and I react them, there's excitement. And then we get to a state that doesn't change. We get to water, and water just stays water, it's not reactive. And so if we if we thought, okay, water's great, that's what I wanted, isn't this wonderful? Isn't it gonna carry on being wonderful forever? That's kind of like an idea of heaven or paradise or something. So we've got these perfect water molecules and we like achieve achieve the union of hydrogen and oxygen. And isn't that great, etc. etc. But actually stasis isn't great. And we know that whenever we find ourselves repeating patterns, stuck in a pattern, doing the same thing over and over again. Even if that involves doing socially validated stuff such as making lots of money, it still isn't great. It's not great because it's infinitely tiresome and there's nothing new in it. And as Frank Herbert says somewhere, without there being something new, something inside us goes to sleep. And sleep is sleep. We can't say sleep is being mentally healthy. It isn't. It's because that spark inside of you doesn't see anything there to interest it and it just goes to sleep because there's nothing new happening. So the sleeper isn't awakening. The sleeper is sleeping. And that's what equilibrium states are all about. We can call them states of sleep. We could say that matter in an equilibrium state is matter in a state of sleep. It doesn't do anything. It's totally, totally inert, totally, totally predictable. Its entropy content is hit the roof. It's just pure entropy. Infinite tedium forever, infinite sameness forever. So that's our 
very odd way of looking at mental health normally, and we don't actually spell it out, because if we did, we'd see the fallacy of our ways, and we'd repent of our ways and stop being so stupid. But because we don't explicitly spell it out, we, we keep on thinking that the way we're thinking about mental health is good. The other way of thinking about mental health is simply to say that mental health is a state of disequilibrium, which means we are at some distance removed from whatever the state of normal is. We're not in it. We're out there on a limb somewhere. It's as if we're falling off the surface of the planet in some way. Like normally we're stuck to the planet. We're all stuck on it. And um, that's our equilibrium position. We're not going to go flying off it. We have to crawl around on the surface in our predictable little way, like caterpillars. But to be in a state of disequilibrium means that somehow we're out there in space. It's kind of as if we're falling away from the planet. Who knows what's going to happen? It's a whole different ball, ball game. And of course, you can say, well, that doesn't happen very much. People don't fall off the face of the planet. But maybe they do sometimes, at least um, mentally speaking, or psychologically speaking. Because we know that society is a great big equilibrium system where lack of sameness is punished, where difference is punished, and great rewards are attendant upon being like everyone else and thinking in the socially prescribed way. That's this social equilibrium state. And it's not even true to say it's so, so easy to end up in that state. It is for practical, practic practically inevitable. That's the destination. If we haven't reached there yet, we're going to, because it is written that we are, that's where we're going to, that's our destination. <clears throat> that's the end of the road, that's our doom. The equilibrium state is a, is a doom. And we hasten towards it unwittingly, thinking we're going somewhere else because we don't see the nature of our doom. We see glittering prizes and doors opening and wonderful things. And so we're even keener to hasten in the direction of um, social adaptation, adaptation to the system, because we see all these images of great things, such as the advertising industry shows us images of very happy consumers that are who are very, very happy because they've reached this position of social adaptation and everything's working out for them. Life is so great for them and we know that life is so great for them because that's what they're saying with their every expression, their every gesture. That's what it says on their face, that kind of um, smug look they've got. That's the look of a smug ego that's got everything, that's got ultimate success, ultimate validation. Or as we could say, it's the smug look of an ego that's trying to pretend to itself as much as anyone else that is, has got it made. Because this state of having it made is essentially 
a theatrical one, i.e. it doesn't exist really, because egos can't ever be happy. But what they can do is put on a damn good show of being happy for the other egos. So then we have theatrical happiness, and that's what the game's all about, the social game. It most certainly isn't about actual happiness, because no ego was ever actually happy. To be an ego is to be in a perennial state of want. But of course, if we knew that, we wouldn't be so happy about this game that we're playing. And so it's the job of certain egos to pretend that they're not in a state of want, that they've actually got what they want, so they're not in a state of want, and that they're having a great time and they've got it made. And so these egos are called celebrities. And we look at them, we think, wow, I wish I could be like them. And that keeps us going in the game. And the happiness that the celebrities have isn't for them, and it isn't real happiness. It's theatrical happiness that is for us to falsely believe in, or believe in something that is false, and keep on fluttering like moths towards a candle flame, to keep on fluttering towards the state of maximal adaptation, which is the equilibrium state. which is actually death. Equilibrium state is death in disguise. So what society is selling us in the name of life is death. And that might seem strange, but um, Heraclitus says something exactly the same that, to the effect what you call life is actually death, and what you call death is actually life. So mental health is not being normal, not fitting into any system, not seeing things the way anyone else does, not being right in the way that you're supposed to be right. which means that mental health could be a state of suffering, a state of what would seem to be unwellness because we don't feel right and nothing makes sense in the way that it makes sense to those of us who are stuck to the flypaper of the social equilibrium. Everything makes sense then. Everything seems to be right and we have... Um, because we are able to compare ourselves with a template that everyone else is comparing themselves to, we can actually feel that we aren't abnormal and that everything is fine, which is a total illusion. Because everything isn't fine in the social equilibrium, because it's death. The sleeper is asleep. And so we could ask ourselves, well, how is it that um, when we're asleep, that is supposed to be mentally healthy? And why is it that all the structures in our society are always all geared to keeping us asleep and yet at the same time talking about mental health? And that's the contradiction that's there. And when people <clears throat> do start to move away from the <coughs> equilibrium, <clears throat> that is a painful process. And we can call that neurotic mental illness 
and we can say these people are unwell, we have to help them, when actually they could be waking up. Waking up is not easy, after all. Falling to sleep is, but waking up isn't. So the thing about moving out of equilibrium is that the more we move out of equilibrium, the less templates, the less there is a template there to compare ourselves with. Therefore, we can't say what's right and wrong. Therefore, we can't say what the right thing to do is and the wrong thing to do is. Any situation where you've got a theory describing what's happening and a prescribed method to help us get to what we identify as the correct place to get to in this process of us supposedly becoming mentally healthy, they're all equilibrium chasing. There's no such thing as a method to take you out of equilibrium. There's only such a thing as a method to bring you back into it. There's no such thing as fixing people so they're no longer in the equilibrium. If we want to be no longer in the equilibrium state, then we have to remain unfixed. Because fixing is the process of um, gravitating towards the black hole of the equilibrium state. So straight away, when we are out of this, out of equilibrium, none of that applies. We don't know whether what we're doing is right or not right. We can't compare ourselves to everyone else because we're not in, in equilibrium with them either. There's, we're on our own and we have no way of knowing whether we're doing it right or not doing it right or whether it's a good thing that's happening or a bad thing that's happening. And yet none of that matters because the key thing is that we're making the journey, which is Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. We're making it on our own. There's no guidelines. But if we're out there in a state of disequilibrium, then we're mentally healthy. That's all we need to do. Okay, thanks for watching.